Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 12. You'll find it on your phone or it'll be up on the screen as well. All right, Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, good afternoon. My name's Gav. Good to have you here today. Don't say funny. Anyway, um, a bit of a calmer start than this morning. This morning, which is exciting. There was a snake at the front of church. Anyway, that's pretty exciting, isn't it? Uh, that'll get your attention for a sermon, won't it? Um, but yes, we can talk later about the snake, and if you'd like to. Uh, but, um, but right now, we, we enter a time in our gathering here every single week where, um, where we open the Bible together. We do it every week, and we do it every week primarily because we believe that's how God speaks to us. Now, I'm sure you've come here today, this afternoon, and that most of us have had full, uh, busy, maybe stressful weeks. Uh, for some of us, maybe even today, you might have worked and you might come here feeling a bit stressed. Uh, maybe your kids didn't sleep well, maybe you didn't sleep well. Maybe you're dreading the week ahead, maybe you're feeling tired, worn down, weary. Maybe you're feeling stressed right now and you find it hard to even be here in this building today. You might even find it hard to walk into church most weeks. Maybe you're feeling distant from God, like you don't even know Him, anxious, whatever it is. Maybe you find it hard to sit here and listen, to stay awake when I feel too tired. You may get that whole sermon nod, you know, when you start just drifting off. I see you do that sometimes. I don't want to name you, but I will. No, I'm just joking. I'll never do that to you. Uh, but, but, but maybe that's, that you find it hard. So that's what I thought. I just thought before I begin, before we look at the Bible, I want to remind you that right now God's going to speak to you. As the Bible's open, the creator of the universe who loves you so much, who wants what's best for you, is going to address your hearts and minds right here today, 2,000 years after Jesus, Jesus came to earth, that he will be here with us. And really, it's what your soul longs for. There is to be a fear and trembling before him and his word, but it's really what our souls are hungry to hear. So what I thought I'd do to start off with, I want to give you a minute or so to pray for yourself, to pray for your own heart, that no matter, no matter what I say or what, what, what I do here, the Bible's going to be open and God will speak to you and he will address you, whether you know him, whether you don't. So I want to give you a minute right now to pray for yourself. You might want to pray if you don't know God, Lord, if you're real, just show me. Or you want to pray, God, incline my heart and help me to listen well. Let me give you a minute now to pray for yourself, then I'll pray. Father, in a room this size, um, I'm sure we've all had different sort of weeks. We, we come here with different thoughts in our head. We are, we are pro- products of our week that has just passed. 
and the week that is coming. And so we find ourselves in the middle of the week, the weekend, thinking, um, if we're stressed or overwhelmed or whatever it is, we want to pray, Lord, that we would just be able to sit now and be still before you. Just say in Psalm 4610, be still and know that I'm God. Help us to be still. Help us to quieten our souls. And we just want to hear your voice. Please just deaden all the other voices in our minds at the moment and so that you, by your spirit, would address us where we're at. You know what we need to hear. You have numbered the very hairs on our head. You know if we need comfort, if we need a challenge, whatever it is. So Lord, just have our hearts and minds open and ready to be addressed by the King of Kings. Help us to have an expectation that you will speak. Help us to be ready to hear you. Lord, bless our time now as you open your word and use me as your servant to only say what you want me to say and to point people to you. Thank you for your word, God. Amen. Now, sometimes it's good as a parent when your kids aren't like you. Uh, in my house the last few weeks, it's been about public speaking. Uh, my youngest, Sav, who's five, uh, her, her class was on school assembly. And so that's like yeah, 600 kids in the school and a class is on assembly, they've got to run the whole assembly. And so Sav, one of Sav's jobs was to get up and speak on the microphone in front of 700 kids. Uh, and she had to say the words of, please stand quietly for the national anthem. And she nailed it. She nailed it, right? And but the great thing was, she wasn't nervous at all. Um, even when she was sitting there waiting for her turn, the school band was playing, and she was there um, flossing and doing dabs to the, to the band. <laughs> And Kate and I going, what is happening here? What is our daughter doing? But she was having a great time, so relaxed. Jet and Eddie both had to give speeches in the class, in their class as a part of a public speaking competition. And again, not nervous at all. Um, I, I, as I told you before, one of my greatest fears is, was uh, public, public speaking. And I still find it a bit hard to get up here. But my kids nailed it. Indy won her competition in her class. And then so she went from there to go and give a speech in front of all of you, one year, two, about 300 students or so, and they had to give an impromptu speech. Three minutes, like for two minutes on the spot, right? I'm like, that is my greatest fear, never, ever, ever. Anyway, and the topic that she got was pretty cool. It was, what is your favorite place? And, uh, and what did she say? She answered with, home. So I thought it was really cool. And uh, I said to her, I said, that's such a cool answer. And then she said, yeah, I, I had three points, Dad. I'm like, that's my girl, three-point <laughs> sermon, right? Three-point sermon. She was nailing it. And I said to her, what were your points in? And she said, uh, firstly, home is safe. She said, right, she said, home is where my toys are. I'm like, yeah, I like that. And she said, um, uh, home is where my family is. That's what makes home special for her. And I thought, that is such a cool answer, thinking on the spot like that. She's better than me and she's seven. Anyway, um, but I think, I think Indy's answer really taps into something we all feel and all want. This idea of home, of belonging, of community. I want to show you, I want to show you an ad right now that I saw this week. It's an old ad, but I was thinking about this idea. I want to show you this ad. I want you to listen carefully to the lyrics. Have a look at the screen. A window breaks down a long dark street And a siren wails in the night That's all right, 
Lyrics are, feels like home to me, feels like back to where I belong. I think it taps into something we all feel. And I watched that at, at, um, at Piccolo's this week, and I had to pretend I had hay fever as I was getting a bit <laughs> emotional about feeling back at home again. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, just that's something in my eye. Anyway, um, but we all have this longing for home, for feeling like we belong, to a safe, to being known. And that's that taps into that emotion that I think we all have, and not just the physical place, but a longing to go home to whom we belong to. You know, whether, you, whether you've experienced this or not before, I think we all long, have this, long for and have this desire in us. That that's what we want. And I want to say it's because we've, create, we've been created that way. To, to belong, to be relational, to have community, to long for home, for safety, to being known. And I believe that's how God has created us. The question is, where do we find that fulfillment? Where does this longing uh, uh, find its end point? So what I'm to look at today and show you today, from this, as we look, journey through this story of the Bible, I want to pick up this idea and, and see where it finds its fulfillment. Today, as you heard, we're walking through the story of the Bible, and today we come across one of the major characters in the Bible, is a guy called Abraham. We're going to look at Abraham for a bit. We're going to see God's plan to restore creation by gathering a people to himself. And he'll begin to restore what his good purposes were for this world through this man, Abraham. And I believe it taps into our deep-down desire to, to be known for community, for home. So let's have a look. We're going to be covering a lot of the Bible today, like almost 50 chapters. So strap in, we're going to roll. Um, I'm going to have as many slides. I think I have 50 slides today. So Phoebe, thank you so much for this. You're going to be on this, right? You're pressing the, pressing the slide buttons. But so you can help you to follow, because we're going to track through a lot of characters in the Bible very quickly to show this overall picture. But our three points uh, that I have, like my daughter, three good points. Here we go. God's, God's plan begins. Uh, has his plan failed and Jesus fulfills? So as we said, we're trying to help you to understand the what of the Bible, so this storyline. So first week, um, we want to show you how, sorry, how it all fits together and how Jesus is the answer of that and how actually we're, we're caught up in this story as well. But first week, we looked at creation uh, and we saw that creation, uh, God made all things good. He made all things wise, powerful and he spoke and they were good. And he made humanity as well uh, to be in his image. That's what he made us to be in his image, to rule and to help the world flourish, help us to cultivate under him and his good purposes. He also made us, humanity, to be in relationship with each other. And there was goodness there with each other and the world. Um, We were were God's place, we were were in God's, sorry, God's people, in God's place under his rule. God's people, God's place, 
God's rule. That was God's intention for the goodness of creation and for it to flourish as he created. That was his purposes. Then last week, though, what did we see? We saw sin enter the world, and that was our biggest problem we saw just speak from Genesis 3, that sin entered the world. And we saw Adam and Eve listen to the serpent's lies and believe them, uh, believe the lies and rebel against a good God. And we saw that uh, uh, shown in Eve taking the fruit and eating, which God said not to. And then they started to define good and evil rather than allowing God to define good and evil. And the consequence of their sin was they were removed from God's place, from his presence, and they were cut off from the life source, God himself. We saw the relationship with God was severed, but their relationship with each other then was also affected. There was shame between each other and shame pushing away from God as they started to define good and evil for themselves. And their relationship with the world would be much, much harder as well. And sin destroyed everything. And we showed show that it was humanity's biggest problem, and it still is our biggest problem, is sin. But if you keep reading on from Genesis 3, you see this spiral down from God's good creation. I'm trying to walk you through this for a second, from Genesis 3 through to 11, and showing you that sin is his biggest problem. And, and God sort of spells this out and it shows us. So we saw straight away, as Jez mentioned last week, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's kids. We saw Cain, uh, we saw Cain uh, kill Abel. Out of an anger and rage, he was that angry, he killed his own brother. Then you meet after this, you meet in Genesis 5, I think it's 5 or 6, you meet a horrible man named Lamech. Now Lamech was a man who just accumulated wives for himself to brag about. And he was so violent, he was saying, I'm more violent than Cain. And he would brag about this and saying how great he was because of his violence. This is like, this is like just after creation, just after the fall. This is where humanity is heading. So this is, this is what has happened. And after this, a number of generations come and go. Those who do not know God and do not acknowledge him or live under his rule. And then you read this really confronting passage in Genesis 6 that comes from the mouth of God. And it says this, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And you read that and go, wow, we have moved so far from the goodness of creation when God can say this as he looked down on earth. So God is grieved, and so what does he do? He cleanses the earth of evil. And so he wipes out, and we get the story of Noah, which is the next chapter, chapter 6. We get Noah. And the flood, and the purpose is for God. We don't see this in kids' books, but you see that the flood comes to wipe out this evilness that is there, this sin that is there. God's grieved, and so he sends a flood, 40 days, 40 nights, and wipes out every living thing on the face of the earth, apart from Noah and the animals and his family. And God says, build an ark, and he does. And you see this, this is really God, Genesis 3, sin playing out, humanity deciding what's right and wrong, with no reference to God. And as they do that, they're willing to, to, to not love one another or him. And the consequence is evil and destruction and harm. But God finds one man, Noah, who acknowledges him. And so like God with Noah sort of does a reboot of humanity. Sort of wipes out and goes, let's, let's start again. He does it with Noah and his family. But, you, uh, but 40 days, 40 nights, everything's cleansed and we start again. But maybe part of the story you don't know or part of the story that's not included in kids' books is as soon as Noah gets off the ark, what does he do? He gets drunk. He gets wasted. 
gets, plants a vineyard to get drunk, and he does. Straight after this, this is, this is the new humanity, this is the reboot. And you've got Noah getting drunk straight away, then what happens? You get this really weird interaction with him and his sons. So while he's drunk, one of Noah's sons sees him naked. And then he runs and tells his brothers about it to go and mock his dad. And so you've got some weird language that goes on in there and it gets all really crazy. But you can see here the, the, the idea of the story is that sin's still there. This reboot of humanity hasn't fixed it. Sin is still in the heart and it's still the biggest problem that humanity's facing. Then we get across to Genesis uh, 11. You read the next story, the Tower of Babel, where humanity wants to show how great it is with, act, with no reference to God, to brag about how amazing they are. And so you get God deciding to confuse humanity's language. He comes down and he scatters the people across the face of the earth. And so you see from Genesis 3, really, right through to Genesis 11, there's this downward spiral that is happening of humanity and very far removed from God's good purposes of, the, of, of his purpose for, for, for humanity and creation. It seeming, seems like that humanity no, want to be, no longer want to be God's people. They want to, they want to know him. They're not in God's place anymore. They're not near him. And they're definitely not living under God's rule. They're defining what good and evil is. The sin. So humanity was to live under this rule to flourish. But they no longer want that. So rebellion comes in and with it its consequences. And it seems like God's good purposes are so far removed. And so the question has to lead us to, what is God going to do about it? Will he just wipe out creation again and start again? Will he keep doing that? What's he going to do? Humanity are sinning against him again and again. We see what's going to happen. We see here from here, from really from Genesis 12, God steps in and he begins to restore creation by calling a people for himself. That's what we're going to see. He, begins, he steps in to, uh, to restore creation by calling a people for himself. He intervenes and he acts and he shows love and grace even when his humanity is against him. He steps in. And he binds himself to never, ever give up on his creation, or never give up on his humanity, on, on humanity. And it all begins with a man, Abraham. I want to show you this. I want to show you how it all begins with a man, Abraham, going forward. This is my first point. God begins his rescue plan. Uh, Jacob just read for us Genesis 12. Let me read for you again. It's on the screen behind me. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. It says this, Then the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. Now almost out of nowhere, if you read Genesis 11 Genesis 12, Abraham just sort of appears. This man Abraham appears. And then eventually his name's changed to Abraham because, which gives us a clue, that he will become the father of many. And what happens here, and for the rest of the Bible, God really just sort of, the Bible focuses on this one family. It zeroes in on Abraham, then it just tracks his lineage, generation after generation, through the whole of this part here. It's just actually an outworking of Abraham's family, who eventually become the people of God, Israel. And it all starts with this man, Abraham. And we see here that really God is reaching out to Abraham by grace. Um, Abraham didn't do anything to deserve it. He wasn't, a, uh, uh, he wasn't uh, uh, sinless or whatever. He was just a man um, that did not deserve God's kindness, but God reaches down to begin a rescue plan through this man, Abraham. And I don't know if you picked up in Genesis 12, but God gives Abraham three promises. Three promises. 
And these are really key to remember, really for the rest of the story of the Bible. Three promises to remember. Make him into a great nation, give him a land for him and his people, and bless him. And that is blessing meaning being, being with him, being near him, and using him in a special way. Promises are land, family, blessing. Land, family, blessing, which we'll really see play out for the rest of the Bible. And God is going to restore his people um, in his place under his good rule through Abraham and through these three promises. And he even says at the end of sentence three that all families, so all people on the earth, Abraham, will be blessed through you. It's a huge claim God's making. But through you, Abraham, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And so God's rescue plan will take place through Abraham and through these promises. So this is great news for humanity, spiraled down, seemingly hopeless. God stepped in and said, no, 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 I'm going to take over here and I'm going to rescue you through Abraham and these three promises. But how serious is God about this? You know, people make promises all the time, but will he come through? Will he actually do what he says he's going to do? Will he commit himself to these promises? I don't know, I don't know about you, but uh, often I'm quite an in, impatient person. I want things to happen now and quickly and get it done and so we can move on. And I'm probably a product of my culture, really. Uh, I can often lack slowing down and taking time to focus on one thing. And this is flawed in my character. It's often seen and shown up because I'm married to Katie, who's not like that at all. Uh, so her patience shows up my impatience. Um, and this is seen most a lot around my house sometimes. And especially when it comes to my fridge at home. Uh, my fridge at home is often really full and packed, having three kids and having people over quite regularly means our fridge is not only quite chockers. And so it's hard to find anything in my fridge. And so each morning we get up and make our kids breakfast, and the question always comes around to the kids, hey, uh, what do you want for lunch today? And I uh, often say to Jet, hey, what do you want for lunch today? He might say, hey, Dad, I want a jam sandwich. I'm like, okay, bud, jam sandwich. Open the fridge, and I look for the jam, and I see no jam. I can't see any jam anywhere. Now I know we probably have three jars of jam somewhere in there, in the abyss of the fridge, but I can't see them straight away. It's too hard to move things around. And so I'm like, uh, it would take too much time, and even I look for the, if I look for the jam, it's not there. What a waste of time, so what's the point of looking? And so I reply to Jet, so, sorry, Jetty, no jam today. How about a plain bread sandwich? Um, which uh, he's often not that keen on. But, uh, but then Katie steps in and says, no, no, Gav, we do have jam. She opens the fridge, moves things around, finds the three jars of jam, puts them on the table in front of me and says, you had a boy look, didn't you? I'm like, yes, I did. I'm sorry. Um, but that can be my personality, impatient, quick to give in if I th- see things are too hard that I'm not like, committed to. God makes these three promises to Abraham, land, family, and blessing. And he's beginning to restore his people and creation through these promises. But how does Abraham know that God will see these through? I want to take you to Genesis 15 as we work through this story, and I want to show you something really cool uh, that God does to Abraham and for us as well. It shows his character, I believe. It really shows his character. Genesis 15. If you have a Bible, have a look at this with me. I'm going to walk through the chapter really briefly. It says this in sentence 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household 
will be my, and sorry, and, no, and a member of my household will be my heir. So God's promised, you know, we said here, God's promised to make Abraham into a great nation. Lots of kids. Abraham's getting older, has no kids. Abraham goes, well, God, how do I know that you will actually do what you said you were going to do? We come through this promise of having kids and being a, a great nation. So God responds and says in sentence four, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. You, will have your own, you shall have your own who will be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven, the number of stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said, so shall be your offspring. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So God says, hey, Abe, I've, I've got this. Your family will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. You've got to trust me. But Abraham has doubts again regarding the, the promise of land. He's still not on the land that he wants or that God has promised. And so he's questioning that. And he says in sentence 8, O Lord God, how am I to know I shall possess it or possess this land? So God says, well, let me show you how serious I am about these promises. I want to show you something from sentence 9 down. It says this. God said to him, uh, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them in half. And he laid each over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. When the birds of prey came down on the carcass, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that, you and your, that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. And they will be greatly afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterward they shall come out of, with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God is saying to him here, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to spell it out for you year by year what is going to happen to Abraham. I'm going to tell you right now that this is going to happen. But I want to keep reading. And this is really key. Senate 17 to 18. It says, When the sun had gone down in the dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, and he describes it all. Let me show you the importance of what just happened. You might read and go, what on earth is happening? Let me show you why this is so crazy. Back in this time, there's a thing called a covenant. Now, Abraham just mentioned there, God just said, I'll enter a covenant with you. A covenant is this, this unbreakable contract that will be spoken of. It's like an agreement that is almost unbreakable. And so how people, these parties would, 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 uh, would uh, do a deal to have a covenant is they'd get animals and they would cut them in half, which is pretty gruesome. But they would, lay, they would get the animal cut in half, they'd place one side on here, one side over here, and together both people who were entering the covenant would walk in between the halves of the animals down the middle. And they're basically agreeing, saying, we are entering this covenant together, and if one of us breaks the covenant, we shall be cut in half like the animals. That's what the agreement is. That's how serious this is. If one of us breaks this, we too shall be cut to pieces. That's what this covenant is. It's an unbreakable contract. But I don't know if you noticed, as the covenant was made, that who walked down the middle of the animals? Because Abraham didn't. In sentence 17, it describes God being a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. It describes God walking through the middle of these animals. So really... God is the one who is bounding himself to this covenant with Abraham. He's bounding himself to an agreement with humanity. And he's bounding himself to an unbreakable contract with Abraham and his family that he's going to be 100% committed to. 
and he will see through these plans. God will be faithful no matter what. He is 100% committed to this rescue plan to save humanity, to bring back his people to his place under his rule. That's what God's saying in Genesis 15. He's saying, Abraham said, can I trust you? And God says, I'm that serious about this plan to rescue people. I will enter a covenant with you forever. Genesis 17, he jumped forward. Abraham's 99 years old. And God again reaffirms this covenant. He says, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you, give you a land. And God says in there, I'll make you an everlasting covenant. Not just, not just for you and me, Abraham, but an everlasting one for all your descendants. That's how serious I am about this rescue plan, about my good plans for humanity to restore them. And we read through the Old Testament, Abraham's descendants, God reaffirming his covenant again and again and again. And God is, is, that, is that focused on restoring his humanity back to the purposes of the garden, God's place, God's people in God's place under God's rule. He's bound himself saying, I will, will not give up on humanity and I will rescue them. And they will be my family. They will be my people. His plan will succeed. I just think for a second, it's, it's cool to stop and just to think about, this is the God we worship. This is the God of the Bible who you read in the scriptures, but it's the same God we deal with today. That God is committed to his people. He's committed to you and I. That he will not give up on us. That he is faithful. So when he speaks, his word is sure. His promises are sure that you can hold on to. You can, you can, you can bank your life on them. That God will not give up. And he is faithful and he is trustworthy. And when he speaks, we can trust him in his word. His promises are sure. And he will restore humanity. He will bring about his purposes for this world. And you can trust those purposes. We move on from Genesis 17. God's made three promises, land, family, and blessing. He's made a covenant to tie himself to that. He's going to rescue uh, uh, humanity through this family, through this covenant. And so you get to Genesis of anything, oh, things are going to go great, things are, are amazing. God's got this rescue plan, it will happen soon. Surely everything's going to be fine now. But it's not. Things don't really change for humanity. And humanity continues to rebel against God. And we see this really for the rest of the book of Genesis and through the Bible. Let me show you a bit. So from, for, uh, uh, in Genesis 12 and 20, even just after God has given these, these promises to Abraham, what does Abraham do? He goes and meets foreign kings and he's scared of them and so he offers his wife to them. and says, no, no, she's my sister, you can have her. Because he's afraid, he's not trusting God. You read in Genesis 16, oh Sarah, hearing these promises of God saying you'll have a family, she sees her and Abraham, they're pretty old. So what does she do? She gets her servant girl and says, oh, quick, go and sleep with my husband, have a baby. Forcing both of them to commit adultery. Again, not trusting God because she can't see how it's going to work. She takes matters into her own hands and decide what's, decides what's right and wrong. But eventually, in their, in their old age, miraculously, they have a child named Isaac. And Isaac has two sons. I'm sure you know the story of Esau and Jacob, Jacob and Esau. Esau the older one, Jacob the younger one. Things seem to be going okay, but eventually Jacob wants his brother's birthright. He wants his inheritance. And so you read this story in, in chapter 27 of Genesis where Jacob is so driven by this wanting, this blessing, this inheritance. What does he do? He steals it from his father. And so he gets dressed up uh, because his father at that point is blind. And so he goes to his dad and pretends he's Esau 
to get the blessing, get the inheritance, and he deceives his dad. An old, blind man. Like that's, that is low to deceive someone like that. These are real people doing this. And Jacob and he steals the inheritance. Then Esau is angry and hunts him down. And then after this, the story keeps going. Uh, Jacob has uh, 12 sons. I'm sure you know this story. He's got 12 sons. And one of the, uh, but Jacob loves his son more than the others and gives him a special, a special coat. And his brothers find out that he has this coat and Joseph, start, Joseph starts bragging about his coat and his brothers absolutely hate him. And they're angry. Because Joseph is always talking about how great he is and how they'll worship him one day. And so what do they do? They plan on killing him. But they don't. Thankfully, one of the brothers steps in and says, let's not do that. Let's throw him down a hole. Let's sell him as a slave to Egypt. And they do. But after, if you read Genesis, this, this story is pretty crazy. You read this story of events. And Joseph eventually goes from being in jail in Egypt, and then, but eventually goes to being second in charge over all of Egypt. And really, again, this shows God's faithfulness to be blessing this family and to being with Joseph, to not, to not leave this family behind. His promises were to look after them, to bless them. And we see this story that this happens, that God will, be, God will bring about his purposes through this one family, no matter what. The story keeps going, though. Long story short, eventually uh, Joseph's brothers are away from Egypt, but they, they, a severe famine comes, and so they need to travel to find some food. So where do they go to? They go to Egypt. And guess who they see in Egypt, right? They go and see, they turn up, and they see this second in command, not knowing who it is, but it's actually their brother, Joseph, who they sold into slavery all these years ago and thought he was dead. And so they see him. And uh, when they see him, they don't recognize him, but Joseph recognizes them. What does Joseph do? Well, he forgives them. And he saves them. He gives them food for free. And he says, bring the whole family into Egypt and I'll look after you. Which he does. Now remember, these are the great-grandchildren of Abraham who have done this horrible thing to their brother. But even in spite of their evil... God is still working out his plans and his purposes for this family because he has bound himself by his covenant to make sure that he rescues humanity through this crazy, mixed-up family. And he will continue on. He's faithful when they are not. And the book of Genesis, and I really think the book of the whole, the whole Old Testament story is really summed up in one verse from Genesis 50.20. And it's said from the lips of Joseph to his brothers. And it says this, it says, you guys planned all this for evil, but God planned it for good to save people's lives. Humans keep choosing evil, but God is faithful and his plans and promises will not be thwarted. God has a plan to rescue humanity through this one family, through Abraham and his covenant and his promises, and he's bound himself to do it, and he's faithful when we are not. And he's going to restore all of creation through Abraham and his family. As I've mentioned before, my father-in-law um, is an absolute genius. Um, he is better than MacGyver. Uh, I was at his house recently, and we want to take his little boat out for a run around the bay, and he's got like a five-horsepower five horsepower engine on this back of his little um, rubber ducky boat, and it was broken. And so he, he's got the engine, he started, and he twisted the, the fuel valve, and it snapped. I thought, oh, that's a bit, a bit frustrating, we can't go out. And John goes, no, no, I'll fix it. Gets a pair of pliers out of his pocket, then somehow manages to rewire the engine to go around the fuel valve. Then it works in like three minutes. I'm like, who are you? How do you even, how do you even think to do that? And he was like, yeah, it's fine. 
And uh, so we, we, it's, it's amazing. But I, I love watching my, my father-in-law, John, um, interact with my older son, Jet. Jet is nine, and he uh, loves creating and building things, but he's like a bull at a gate. Like, he will just be... Um, he thinks he knows how to do it straight away. He's the best at it. No one else knows but him, and he's straight in there. And so he'll be working with my father-in-law, and he'll be grabbing tools, grabbing saws, grabbing drill bits, trying to just do everything so quickly, and John sort of slow and considering his plan in his head. But I love seeing how John interacts with Jet. And so um, a little while ago, they built a billy cart together from scratch. And, uh, and John let Jet cut up the timber to drill the holes and put it all together. And you could watch Jet, and he was drilling the wrong place, cutting the wrong things, different angles, making all these mistakes. And, uh, but somehow in the end, John made it all come together. And so it was a billy cart. I'm like, how did he do that? It's like, that's incredible. And Jet's like made his mistakes, but it's worked. It's come together and it's worked. I think as you read through Genesis, you read through the whole Bible, it can seem like that humanity has mucked up God's plans. They're not going to work because they keep failing and failing and failing. But we see that God works through us and through these mistakes to bring about his purposes and his plans. That's who God is. What you meant for harm, I meant for good. Genesis 50:20. And we see here in the story of the Bible that nothing will stop or thwart God's plans to bring about his restoration of creation. And we can trust him in that. No matter how many times humanity or we fail, God will not fail. He will not fail. And as you walk through the story of the Bible for the next, I think it's six weeks or so, as you try and get from, from here down to here, we'll see this recurring theme come out again and again, God renewing his promises and his covenant being faithful, committed to his people to bring out a restoration. And we'll see people fail again and again. You read of King David failing and Solomon and so on, and the tribe splitting, it's, it's, it's failure after failure. And you keep thinking, how is this going to come about? How are we going to see the, the answer to God's, God's restoration? How are we going to get back humanity back to God's people in God's place under God's rule? How is that going to happen? And the big thing we want to show you in the story of the Bible is that it's actually all going to come about in Jesus. The whole story of the Bible is actually coming towards and climaxing for fulfillment in Christ and who he is. He is the answer. Jesus is the answer to these three promises. He is the answer to God's rescue plan that began way back here. Jesus is not an afterthought. He is what's back here when he says uh, someone will crush the serpent's heel. It's all about Jesus' fulfillment in him. We're going to see that. That's how humanity is restored. He is the answer to God's rescue plan. It comes as Jesus comes to earth to seek and save the lost, to die on a cross, to deal with this heart problem we all have, which is sin, to pay the penalty we cannot pay so that we can become the people of God. And through him we enter God's family. You think about this for a second, the promise of family that God made to Abraham, you have a huge family. That promise comes to fulfillment through Christ. It's Christ who redeems us to make us part of God's family. And we are born into God's family through him. And this idea of, you know, where, where Abraham, God says to Abraham, you'll have as many descendants as the stars in the sky. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's true for you right now. That you can look around and see other followers of Christ and think, they're my family. From different parts of the world, and you have as many family members and descendants as stars in the sky. In Galatians 3, Paul says, those who are of faith are of Abraham's family. Through Jesus, we inherit these promises as well. 
we get to call God Father as the head of our family. In Jesus, we inherit a land, like land, family, and blessing. We get a land. We get, we get heaven as our home, an eternal home, a real and physical place. Back to God's place where there's no crying, death, mourning, or pain. A homeland. Through Jesus, we are blessed. We are, we are dwelt uh, we are dwelt now by God the Holy Spirit. We will see him again in heaven face to face. Being his people under, in his place under his rule. In and through Jesus, God restores creation to its original purposes. Now I know today I've covered almost 50 chapters of the Bible. You've done well to hang in with me. But, but what I want to try and show you is that this is all about Jesus, but also this is our story. We are caught up in this. This is, this is who we are as well. This is not just some sort of objective story that's out there. This is, this, is, this is creation's story that we are a part of here and now. At the start, I talked about having this longing for home, for, for belonging, for community to be known, safe and loved. And I was saying that this is how God made us. This longing we have is, is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, of him bringing his people home to the new creation. The purpose of the garden will be ultimately fulfilled in here through him. And us focusing and living for those moments. One day Jesus will return and take us home to be his family, to be safe, to be known, to be his people in his place under his rule. And this is what our longings that we have in us for community, for home, for safety, we will ultimately be, be seen and experienced. We get a foretaste of these now through, through church here, we being God's family. We can meet with God through his word and his spirit. But they're all point, they're all foretaste, they're just little bites of what we'll ultimately we'll feel and be experienced in new creation. It's through Jesus that all people will be blessed. We're here, uh, Jesus restoring God's purpose of creation back to the family of God. I want to say, if you're a follower of Jesus, that is your story. This is where you are heading. You are heading here. That is your home. You can be sure of that because God is faithful. He has bound himself to a covenant. And he's secured in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is your story. This is where you are heading. There's, your best is yet to come. I want to encourage you to live lives now with a view of the bigger narrative in frame. Making decisions day by day, small ones, big ones, whatever, in light of the larger narrative that you're a part of. Lifting your eyes up and seeing the bigger purpose. God has told us what is going to happen. He's not trying to hide it or keep it a secret. He has shown that he is faithful, that he's restoring all of creation to one final climactic moment. And that's where you're heading. And I want to encourage you to live in light of how the story ends. Knowing that you are going home, that all your longings will be fulfilled in that final moment. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, today God is inviting you to be part of his people. He's inviting you to know how the, end of the, story, how the story ends. He's inviting you home to where your longings will find fulfillment. And he loves you, he loves you as you are, no matter who you are, what you've done, he knows what you've done, and he still loves you and he will not stop loving you. And he's inviting you to make your story complete, to give you confidence of where you're heading. He invites you home. The question is, what will you do with his invitation? Let me pray. 
Father, we want to thank you that we're a part of a larger narrative, a bigger story. We want to thank you for the story of the Bible, from the story of creation right through uh, to the end of the new creation. Help us to be people who lift our eyes up and see what you have done and what you will do. Help us to see who you are. Your character is faithful, is trustworthy, that you have given us an end, a day where you will bring all things back to full restoration, that you will fulfill all our longings, our longing for home. Thank you you've given us this desire and thank you for the, for the foretaste we have of it now with, with families and church families and of meeting with you in your word and your Holy Spirit. But help those things to point us to the greater thing to come. Help us to live in light of that truth. Thank you so much for Jesus, the answer to your rescue mission. Thank you, Lord. Amen.